0: Also get the joy and the privilege to announce our speaker today, and, and today we are starting a new sermon series, which I am very excited about. Um, the sermon series is "How do I think about Controversial Issues?" So, please welcome Charles So we are starting a new sermon series today. Sounds good, because uh, you know. Time to time, you got to switch it up, right? And uh, today we want to talk about how do I think about, that's the, uh, that's the sermon series, how do I think about this or that, and uh, especially controversial issues because there's a lot of controversial issues, right? A lot of issues that we think about, like Catholic Church, Protestant Church, they split, why? Who's right, right? Big, big problem. Or political issues like uh, why are the uh, evangelical Christians so married to Republican Party? You know, what's up with that? What's the history? What's going on? What, are the, what is the thinking? Uh, how are we to think about controversial issues like uh, gay marriage? Right, that's that's a hot potato, right? Churches oftentimes veer away from that, but we want to get right to it and and just think through how do we approach issues like that? Divorce and remarriage. Who gets saved? How does salvation work? Uh, there are 12,000 denominations and Protestant Christianity alone in the United States. That's a lot, don't you think? It's a lot of denominations and they all are very, very convinced they are right. And every, you know a lot of other people are wrong. So how do we, how do we think about that? Um, Can women lead, or must they submit to men? Big issue, actually. This might surprise you, but majority of Christian denominations teach that women should submit and cannot lead men. Like, for example, the Catholic Church does not allow any woman to become a priest, perform sacraments, and really, sacrament is how you get saved, in Catholic faith. And so that's pretty much everything, right? And so, wow, right? Or conservative, evangelical, Christian denominations, most of them teach women must submit to men. How are we to think about that? Because I'm sure in today's more liberal atmosphere, this probably doesn't sit well with many of us, right? I mean, 200 years ago, we were okay with it. Right. I mean, women could not vote, women could not own property, even 100 years ago, and everybody seems okay with it, <laughs> right? But today, we are more woke, right? You heard that phrase, right? So we are woke, and oh my gosh, right? You couldn't, you couldn't imagine like that word coming out of my <laughs> mouth the pastor's mouth, but it's happened, so we cannot go back. So how do we approach these controversial issues, especially if you disagree with the accepted traditions or the majority opinions of the Christians? So let's get to it. Sounds good? The first thing to note is that controversial issues have always been around churches and faith communities. I mean, it feels so heated and intense and divided, and we can kind of freak out like these are such big issues, and like it seems so divided. But let's all calm down because it's always been like this. (laughs) It's always been like this. You know, even from the very first days of church, huge issues divided the church, and even among apostles. Right, We think apostles, saints, they are just all like, you know, attained enlightenment. So they're all like in accord with one another and they're all like above it all. No, they fought like cats and dogs. Okay, so it's always been around. So for example, the very first issue from the very first days of church, can the Gentiles become part of the church without obeying the laws of the Bible? Gentiles refer to all non-Jews, so people like us, right? How many of us have Jewish background? Not many, right? Most of us, a couple, but most of us are Gentiles, you know? Most of us did not belong to Jewish culture or their heritage. So Gentiles is most of us. Can we become part of the church without obeying the laws of the Bible? This was a very difficult issue for the early Christians because there were 613 laws and rules in the Bible, and the Gentiles didn't obey most of it, (laughs) right? And how much of the Bible must the Gentiles obey before we can let them be part of the church? Big question, understandable question, because it's like asking Can someone become a Catholic without going through any of their sacraments? Right? And you kind of think, well, no. Right? So, understandable question. But there were people like Paul who said, yes, you can. And it was a huge issue that divided the church. And the first ever church council was convened over this. You know, periodically in church history, there were church councils that were convened, like Nicodemian Council, like, 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 you know, all the bishops of the church would gather together to decide on the important issues of what makes Christian Christian. They are church councils. Okay, so you've heard of them, church councils. The first ever was called Jerusalem Council. And uh, it's recorded in Acts chapter 15. Shall we take a look? When, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised, as required by the law of Moses, the law of Moses refers to all these laws in the Bible, 613 laws, you cannot be saved. Right? Right? So that's what they're teaching. You have to obey the Bible or you're not saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders, they reported everything God had done through them, but then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees, Christian Pharisees, stood up and insisted, the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses." So a whole bunch of people believed, well, you have to like follow the requirements of the Bible. So the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue at the meeting after a long discussion. So apparently there was a big debate, right? A lot of people talked. And at the end of it all, Peter stood and addressed them as as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and He confirmed that He accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for He cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke? And neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. When they finished, James stood, Uh, James was like the leader of the church at that time, and said, Brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. Then the apostles and elders, together with the whole church in Jerusalem, chose delegates. So apparently this... Carry the day and they all agreed to do this and they sent them to Antioch of Syria with Paul and Barnabas to report on this decision yay first ever church council (laughs) they agreed we are going to do this and what is the decision they decide to let go of almost every law in the Bible except for four items Do you notice that? They are saying, you can ignore everything in the Bible. It's all right. Except four. Four out of 613. That's pretty good, right? We are 99% there. (laughs) Almost all gone. And I don't know if you noticed, three out of four are about what you eat. Did you notice that? Like, they are like, You know what? We can let go of everything. Except these four are so important that we must insist on these four. You can do anything else you want, but these four you have to do. And three out of those four are what you eat. Right? I mean, what is up with that? (laughs) Right? I mean, food with blood in it? I mean, that's rare steak. How many of you have eaten rare steak? Oh my God. (laughs) You, you know, oops. (laughs) This is a problem, guys. Well, we lie because to us this seems so trivial. But to them it was such a big deal. You can let go of 10 commandments, but not this. Why was it such a big deal to them? Well, the Old Testament Bible says that it's an abomination to eat things like rare steak, stuff with blood in it, and you will be cut off from God. Well, there's that. Pretty strong condemnation. <laughs> but see, we have to understand the mentality of people of faith back then. These 613 laws in the Bible, it defined what it meant to have faith in the living God of Jesus. This was what made Jewish faith different and unique from all other faiths at the time, so says the Orthodox Jewish theologian from Harvard, James Kugel. Uh, He wrote a book called How to Read the Bible, and uh, it's a very long book. I listened to it on audiobook. It's 36 hours. So, you know, it's a pretty long book. But I enjoyed it thoroughly because, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm interested in these issues. <laughs> but Orthodox theologian, you know, Orthodox Jews, you know, they... And he's at Harvard. He's a very smart guy. And, and so, you know, very secular institution... Orthodox Jew. And I find those people very interesting. There's a lot of insights from them, you know. So a lot of the book is about archaeology and all kinds of theological things, but there are some very powerful things he talks about. And he says what made Jewish faith so unique and revolutionary? We think it's because they believed in one God, monotheism. But he argues that there were other faiths that argued for monotheism too. But what made it so powerful is this concept that everyone who believed in this God stood in the court of God at all times. In your public life, in your private life, it didn't matter. You were always standing in the court of your king, of your God, of your emperor. And these 613 laws were the protocols of the court. It's you're standing in the presence of the living God in his court. And these laws told you how to behave. You know? Like when you're standing, imagine, you're standing in the court of the king. If you're standing in the court of the king, it matters how you dress, how you eat, what you eat, when you eat. There's all kinds of court protocols, right? To show your respect to your king, right? And if you don't follow the protocol, it insults the king, right? I mean, I was talking with uh, Kevin, and we were talking about just Asian, you know, it's Lunar New Year, right? So, you know, we're talking about Asian customs, and like, even in just normal families, he was saying, when the oldest person starts eating, that's when you eat. And when he stops eating, you stop eating. And like, you know, they're like these things that, they're cultural customs, right? And, And so it's a beautiful thought, actually. It's a very powerful thought because it gives you purpose and meaning and dignity to every moment of your life. You see, it doesn't matter who you are. You could be a a manual laborer. You could be a simple farmer. You could be just unemployed, living in the basement of your parents. And you could feel kind of lame about yourself, but your faith tells you it doesn't matter you are standing in the court of your God. And you're king. And so everything you do matters. It gives you purpose. It gives you dignity. That can hold you up no matter what happens in your life. Do you see that? It's such a beautiful thought. It makes all of us dignified. We are standing in the presence of our king, our God. At all times. We are servants of God. Very powerful, right? Just let that sink in. It's a beautiful thought. And that's why every law was precious. It gives you your life's meaning. And that's why it was so important to eat meat with blood still in it. It violates court protocol. Do you see why it's such a big deal? It's an insult to your king, your God. You don't want to do that. So do you understand now, a little better, why it was so important to these people? They were not just crazy people. They lived by this. It defined their faith. They were following the protocol set by God himself. And they wanted to respect that. That's a beautiful thought. I have sympathy for them. Don't you? Right? So the church faced a huge issue with the Gentiles. The non-Jews who were starting to become Christians. Because Gentiles didn't obey most of these protocols. (laughs) They didn't obey most of the Bible. They ate everything. Right? And they were not circumcised. Circumcision is like baptism to us. And commanded by God. It was a symbol of covenant with God that, that, that when you become people of God, this is what you do. You get circumcised. But Gentiles didn't do that, and they didn't want to. They wanted to become Christian, part of the church, without obeying the laws of the Bible like circumcision. That's what they wanted. So understandably, many Bible-believing Christians were concerned the believers who belong to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted. The Gentile converts must be circumcised. I think there's a slide for this. Gentile believers must be converts, must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. Again, the law of Moses refers to the 613 laws of the Bible that sets out how to behave in the presence of God. All they're saying, these Christian Pharisees, all they're saying is, Gentiles should be told to obey the Bible. It's like saying, do what the Bible says. Why not? It's like saying, get baptized and start following the Bible. Have you heard that phrase? You want to be a Christian? Get baptized and start following the Bible. It's basically exactly what they're saying. What the Bible tells you to do, so get circumcised and start following the Bible. Isn't that reasonable? Why not? Well, why not is that Jesus upended the Jewish faith when he came. He upended it completely. Paul puts it this way in the passage. Why? There's a side for this. Why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. So what he's saying is, all this court protocol, none of us could bear. We all broke it. We could not do it. And so now we are all saved by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Not our obedience and compliance With God's laws and protocols. Amen? Amen. I mean that is Christian faith, is it not? Right? So the Jerusalem council decides, it carries today this argument, they decide to let go of almost every law in the Bible, including the circumcision, except for four. They still kind of have to cling on to a little bit. But it's less than 1%, right? It's almost all the way there. And even that becomes a point of dispute later on. (laughs) So the first lesson, again, there's always been divisions within the church, even among the apostles, about these important issues, especially Apostle Paul. Now, he was such a troublemaker. I mean, other apostles kind of played nice with each other. But Paul, he was just a thorn in the side of everyone. Now, he was at this council, Right? And presumably he signed off on this decision, but then later he goes against this decision. <laughs> and he tells everyone, don't worry about eating anything. It's only the weak believers who worry about that stuff. It's like, it's really insulting all the apostles, right? Just don't worry. And then in Galatians, he kicks up a fuss by rebuking Peter to his face for being political. He says, When Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. For what he did was very wrong. (laughs) Apostle Peter, right? Pope, first Pope. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was as astray by their hypocrisy. Wow, what a slam, right? Right, Peter is the first pope, right? So this calls into question the doctrine of infallibility of pope, right? Because Peter is supposed to not be able to do anything wrong, but apparently he did something very wrong. Anyway, it's a side issue. (laughs) So clearly, controversy persisted well after the Jerusalem council, right? The issue is still there. Apparently, there's a whole lot of people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision, right? They are not convinced by Jerusalem council. They are still at it. And Barnabas and Peter are swayed by them. They are like wishy-washy. At times, they are like here and then... When these faction came, they're like going the other direction. Do, do you see that? They're being political, and Peter, Paul would have none of it. He's like, you hypocrites! Right? Wow. I mean, you're apostles. I mean, can't you play nice? <laughs> now you have to understand Peter and Barnabas here, right? They're sympathetic to earnest believers who thought eating with Gentiles was a violation of court protocol itself because you know to eat with people who don't follow the court protocol is a violation of the protocol itself. They thought they were honoring God. They're being sincere. They're trying to like follow the Bible. But Paul would have none of it. And he's not very nice about it, is he? Kicks up a fuss in a very public manner. I mean he could have like talk to Peter on the side, maybe? I mean, just like work it out. But he says he did it to his face and he just makes it all public. He writes letters about it. He like, he like goes around telling all these Christians what a hypocrite Peter is. Ah, that's burning bridges, don't you think? How do you think Peter feels about this? you're not going to feel good about it, especially if you're just trying to be earnest about your, you know, you're being sympathetic to different views within the church, trying to like hold it all together. Why can't Paul compromise just a little bit? Just, you know, play along, be nice, get along, you know, be a lot more popular that way, don't you think? Have more influence that way. But Paul doesn't bend. He he just really burns Peter here publicly and just really strains his relationship with Barnabas. Barnabas was his mentor in Christ. He calls him a hypocrite here. Whoa. Later on, he breaks up his partnership with Barnabas. Wow. So on some issues, it's important enough that you cannot bend. You have to be willing to break ranks with even respected partners that you would respect otherwise in every way, but you have to be willing to break up with them. You see that? Paul does this. So, the very first thing to do with controversial issues is you have to decide how important is it? How important is it? Many issues that feel important are not. Three out of four binding decisions on Gentiles are about food stuff, as I said, and it felt so very important back then, but it wasn't, was it? Time revealed that it just wasn't that important. What kind of food you could eat? Other issues like is baptism valid if you are not fully immersed? Is baptism valid if it was done by someone else than a pastor or a priest? Uh, Should we allow priests to marry? I mean, there were wars fought over some of these issues. But they turned out not to be that important, have they? Right? So you have to decide how important all these issues are. And I'm about to tell you, pretty much every issue is not that important. That's what church history tells us, except for one thing, except for one thing, and that is what Paul stands on, and that is what Paul is unbending on, and it is this, this principle, this fundamental principle of our faith, you have to stand on the faith in unconditional worth and love from the cross. That is everything. This is the one thing we cannot bend on. And we can bend on pretty much everything else except for this. We cannot compromise on this. This is my second practical suggestion. Because Paul says in Romans, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's laws. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's laws. The word love here is agape, unconditional love, the divine love. We've been talking about this last few weeks, yes? They've been really good. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, please do. don't want to toot my own horn, but they've been pretty good, don't you think? <laughs> so you've got to understand the unconditional love and why that is so important. What Paul is saying here is that we don't owe nothing to anyone, even to God. There is no obligation except one obligation. There is one obligation we have, and that is the greatest command unconditionally love others as you unconditionally love yourself. Everything else we don't have obligation to really follow because this one command fulfills the requirements of all God's laws. That's what the passage is saying, isn't it? Right? This is what he lived by. So simple and so powerful, so let this guide you in every controversial issue you can think of. Let's apply this test to every controversial issue. For example, slavery. It's no longer controversial. But 150 years ago, it was so controversial, it led to the bloodiest war in this country. One-tenth of our country died during this war because it was so controversial. Right, and many Christians fought to defend slavery. You know, there's this book called "Civil War as Theological Crisis." I really, really highly recommend it. Very well done book. It gives a clear picture of Christian stance towards slavery at the time of Civil War, and the vast majority of the Christians at the time believed that slavery was ordained by God and therefore a godly thing. Very clear evidence it presents. In fact, did you know that the Southern Baptist denomination, the the single largest Christian denomination in America today, it was founded to defend slavery. That's the roots. That's how popular it was back then. Why? Why? It's because there are these Bible passages like slaves must obey their masters even if they are cruel. This made it look like God approved and ordained slavery. This is an instance of following the letter of the law that kills. This is like insisting on circumcision. It's taking these passages and saying, look, this is what God says, so let's follow it. It comes from this mentality, let's play it safe. The best thing to do is just obey the Bible. That's what makes us sincere Christians, not just Christians in name only. Nothing could be further from the truth. That mentality is, is, is the principle that makes you a Jewish or, or, or Muslim. Let's just obey what God says in the Holy Book. That's very close to Jewish faith or Muslim faith. Is not Christian faith. That is not Christian faith. As Christians, we follow the Romans passage that says we are not obligated by anything except the greatest command. That's what the Bible says, right? We're following that passage. <laughs> the principal passage, unconditionally loving every human being because everyone is unconditionally worthy, that fulfills the requirements of all God's laws. I'm just quoting the Bible. It's the safe rock you can stand on. So pass everything by that command. If you do, how could you defend slavery? How could you subject a human being who you believe to be unconditionally worthy to slavery where you can beat them up, you can separate them from their spouse and sell their wives or husbands far away or even their children far away? you can beat them to a pulp, even murder them, and it's within your rights, how could you ever believe that that is God's will? How does that love your neighbor as yourself? I mean, would you like that done to you? What human being would say that would be alright, right? Right? It's so crystal clear. I cannot believe any Christian who believes that human beings are all unconditionally worthy would be led to defend slavery. And yet, so many did. Not just Christians, non-Christians too, but so many did. That tells you how easy it is to be deceived. Like, we must obey God's laws in the Bible. Christian Pharisees. Christian Pharisees, right? Remember? Christian Pharisees. That's all they're saying. Let's obey the laws in the Bible. The Bible-believing Christians who looks holy, who looks righteous, insisting everyone follow the laws of the Bible is, and, and ignoring passages like Romans. Right? Cherry-picking. And sadly, this problem persists today. The church today is filled with Christian Pharisees, just like the first days. Never went away. They have always been the majority in Christian church. Why do you think Peter and Barnabas acted like they did because the Christian Pharisees were the majority. It's very difficult to go against their wishes. It's always been that, that, that way from the very first days. So let's apply this to all controversial issues. Some of them at least today. Gay marriage. Many Christians perceive from the belief it's against God's laws because there are four or five passages mostly in the Old Testament. Jesus doesn't mention it. They prohibit gay practices. They call it abomination before God. And that feels like such strong and unambiguous condemnation, doesn't it? But please remember, eating rare steak is also abomination before God. And you will be cut off from God if you did. Now how many of you ate rare steak? (laughs) Fess up. You are cut off from God. You are an abomination before God. Now, how do we approach this? Now, what do we make of this? Where does that leave us? This is where I must ask, what about divorce and remarriage? This is even more specifically prohibited, even by Jesus. Yet, majority of Christian denominations in the United States are all right with remarriage today. You know why? Because half the country is in that state and if you alienate half the country, you got problems, <laughs> right? Yeah. So why is that all right, and the other thing not all right? They they get into a pretzel trying to defend their position, right? Well, what's the what's the difference? The numbers, mm-hmm. right? Half the country you have to kind of respect, but you know, two percent, three percent, you can oppress, yeah. right? Is that what it is? Numbers? Is that what Christianity stands for? How can we live with ourselves if that's what we stand on? Don't get into a pretzel. That's a very good <laughs> principle. If something gets you into a pretzel, just it's not good. Just just live straight. That's what God wants from you. If gay people are unconditionally worthy and beloved of God, why couldn't they marry? I can't think of an argument. Common pushback is what about kleptomaniac or, you know, criminals, born criminals. They're bent on destruction. Their DNA is criminal. And so they just want to do criminal things. Just like maybe gay people are born gay, so, you know, so we just let them do whatever they want. That's a common pushback I've heard. And I have to say, what a load of crap, right? (laughs) Because... If you really believe that every human being is unconditionally worthy, how do you let people just steal from people and harm people? and just? Because if you really believe every human being is worthy, you, you can't tell people to just go ahead and harm people. Because they are infinitely worthy, everyone is. So how do you, how do you teach people to harm people if you're teaching everyone is unconditionally worthy? There is no comparison whatsoever because how does it harm anyone if gay people want to marry each other? How does that violate unconditional worth and belovedness of every human being? It it, it helps people. It has, research has shown it cuts down on suicide. It cuts down on all kinds of wrong and, and evil, bad things that happen to people. So how does it violate that principle? Except there is like a passage that says, you know, gay gay don't do it in the Bible it also says don't eat rare steak Well, where are we on this right we stand on greatest command that gives clarity on everything it's so simple and the Bible says do that why don't we follow the Bible on that (laughs) crazy right so eating meat it doesn't matter guys Eat whatever you want. Who cares? It's good news. Yay. All right. Slavery, unconditional worth and love would have made things so very clear to everyone. You know? Instead of 1800 years of Christians defending slavery. Right? It's easy to be deceived by seeming holiness and righteousness. Don't be deceived. Women in leadership. Yes, there are passages that say women should be quiet. Seen. Not heard. The passages that say women should submit to men. So Catholic Church does not allow women to lead in church, administer sacraments. Many conservative churches don't allow women to be pastors. Let's be honest, that's putting down women. Right? There's a lot of research that is very clear if you categorize a whole group of people, like black people. Well, women, you just categorize a whole group of people and say they can't lead. You know, people have said this. Black people can't lead because their brains have evolved in different ways. To defend slavery and racism, people have made, I mean, these genetic arguments just until a century ago, it was like big deal. The whole Nazi Germany was built on that, right? Like different races, they're built differently. You know, so, you know, black people, they're good at sports, manual labor, but they can't need. So their brain's no good. Can you believe that? Right? What about Barack Obama? I mean, he led pretty well. <laughs> right? Oh, Queen Elizabeth, Queen Victoria, Catherine the Great. There are all kinds of women that have led very, very well. Do you know there's research that took a whole bunch of Asian women and told them, think of yourself as Asian, and gave them math test. And they scored like 20% above average. And then the same people, they told them, think of yourselves as women. And then gave them the, say, the, the math test and they scored 20% less than the average. Because there's this pre- precondition, you know, the precondition to think women can't do math, or Asians can do math. It's not true, you know. I can do math pretty good, but not all Asians are good at math. (laughs) We're just all human beings, guys. Do you see what harm it does to a whole group of people to just keep on telling them you're not good enough to lead? Do you know what kind of self-fulfilling destinies and all these potentials that are killed at birth to just keep on saying these harmful, stupid things it goes against Christ's command to unconditionally love all human beings. You know, I could weep over the harm. Please, please, don't be deceived. Paul called these people false Christians. He called them workers of evil, bound for hell and damnation. Doesn't that alarm you? As your pastor, I plead with you, do not fall into this peril and get damned. Because so many Christians did. As Paul pleads with his followers. And even though he was not popular at the time, he proved to be speaking the gospel. Amen? I stand on the true gospel. The Bible declares, therefore, now there is no longer Jew or Gentile, free or slave, man or woman, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is the great declaration of Christian faith. We are all unconditionally worthy by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. And this is what sets us free. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Let us pray. God, we celebrate our freedom in you. Now, it is your love, your unconditional love that makes each and every one of us infinitely and unconditionally worthy. And it is this faith in your love as shown on the cross and in so many other instances That makes us Christian. God thank you so much. For freeing us. Help us to live on this great faith. That brings freedom. That brings love. That brings worth. That brings anchor to our hearts. That what makes us worthy. Is not that we are obedient. Not that we are smart. Not that we are famous. Or rich. Or righteous in any way. But what makes us worthy is your infinite love towards us, that our worth is conferred on us, given to us, so it can never be taken, it can never change, and we celebrate that worth that we find in us through your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.